Hello, and welcome to When It Goes Wrong, the podcast exploring disasters, accidents, and times when everything falls apart. I'm Jasmine, your host, and on this episode, we'll be discussing cave exploring disasters. First, the Nutty Putty Cave, where a man met his death by climbing too far in. And then the Thai Cave Rescue, where a group of 13 were trapped deep underground, and it would take a miracle to rescue them. So, welcome. This has been requested by quite a few people, actually, and so I'm, I'm finally getting through through requests. So, it was requested by Ben on email, and Danny and Danielle on Instagram. So, thank you for the requests. Uh, before I get started, uh, just a quick reminder to follow me on Instagram at when it goes wrong pod uh, and rate the podcast on whatever you're listening to. So on Spotify, you can just give it a star rating um, and same with Apple Music and uh, yeah, whatever else you're listening to. I'm sure it has a has some form of rating thing. So that would be great. Cool. So this isn't all. <laughs> the first story we're starting with is awful. It's one of the first one of the only things that when I've been researching it, I've been like, this literally just makes me feel ill. Like, I thought planes would be the worst because, you know, I don't like a plane. But I think maybe my fear of getting caught and being squashed to death is higher than that. So, yes, I apologise. If you're not into horrible cave deaths, then skip <laughs> skip forward, I don't know, like 15 minutes until the Thai cave rescue bit uh, where... Um, it's it's a lot more pleasant. Um, I'm also accompanied by a tiny cat called Juniper who is scratching her scratch pole very close to this microphone. So um, you might be hearing that in the back. Cool. So we're going to start with the Nutty Putty Cave. So the Nutty Putty Cave is in Utah in America and it's a cave system full of twists and turns um, and it's very big. Uh, it has a lot of like big open spaces, small areas to crawl through. So like a good mix of, of what people are looking for. And it's a very popular cave. So there's a lot of people that go in it that want to want to explore through through itself. Yeah. And, and it was it was one of these caves that was, you know, interested to kind of professional cavers, um, but was also very popular with, with other kind of more more casual cave explorers. And, you know, people that are kind of going out on a bit of an, an outdoor adventure. So, yeah, it had a real a real mix, but it was popular. It was well known. It had, you know, it had been mapped pretty, pretty consistently. But prior to 2006, there had been quite a few instances of people getting stuck. Uh, so people basically crawling into a space or, or trying to wiggle themselves uh, through through gaps um, and then just getting themselves totally stuck and, and unable to, to get out. And so there was a local cave rescue team who were were pro cave rescuers um, and they would come and get people out, which was very good of them. Uh, and they were definitely kept pretty busy. And they would, you know, I've learned a lot about rescuing from caves, but it's really hard to actually rescue people from caves. I mean, we talked a little bit about, well, we did the Chilean mines, which was more a different kind of layout, I guess. Whereas with caves, it, it's very tight and you know, you don't really have the option of like in the Chilean mine to drill down. You have to kind of go in. So it's a case of trying to like pull people out, but getting the, the kind of leverage on the person to pull them out is often very hard. But so it was decided in 2006, actually, the cave was was too dangerous um, and too many people were getting stuck in there. And so they decided to to close it for a while until they could kind of figure out what to do with it next. And so they, they put a big gate across the front of it uh, to stop people coming in. 
And the area we're going to talk about, uh, actually in August 2004, someone had got stuck in that space. Um, One of the, a Boy Scout that had gone exploring had got stuck in that area. And apparently it was just like an awful rescue to try and get him out uh, because it was very down, like very tight tunnels to get to where they were in the first place. So it's not only hard to kind of pull them out from where they are it's hard to even get to where they are but thankfully they did manage to get that that guy out uh, by using lots of kind of pulleys in order to to get the leverage that they needed uh, but he um yeah wasn't very well had to had to go to hospital because he kind of built up fluids in the legs because obviously when you're compressed um it's not very good not very good to be compressed uh, but then in 2009, uh, the cave was reopened after a safety plan had been put in place. Um, so, and that had different things around it. So it meant that you had to apply in order to explore and kind of show, you know, that you had some experience. It limited the numbers that were going in there and it closed the caves at certain times. So like overnight. I mean, I don't know who would go climbing in a cave overnight, but apparently that was a thing. So yes, so it's back open now. And so we go now to John Jones, who um, is the man we're going to talk about. He was living in Utah. Um, He had a wife and a kid and had another kid on the way. He was a Mormon, not surprising with it being Utah, uh, and he was studying to be a doctor. And he obviously had a really big family around him uh, supporting him. And he had previously been quite a big fan of exploring caves, especially when he was younger. Uh, and so he understood how caves worked and what they were like um, and, you know, had some experience as, as a cave explorer. But he hadn't been doing it as, as much recently because of obviously his lots of other interests. Uh, and just to note, he was, he was a big guy. So he was over six foot and 200 pounds. So um, when we talk about caves in little spaces, often it's better to be a smaller person that can kind of squeeze through stuff, but he uh, wasn't the case in this one. So on the evening of the 24th of November, 2009, he went to explore the cave with his brother and some friends. So there were nine of them in total. And uh, John had never been to this specific cave beforehand, but I think some of them in the group had been. And so uh, they decided to explore the beginning of the cave as a group, but then John and his brother kind of went a bit further and they were heading for an area that was quite narrow. It was called the birth canal, um, which was, yeah, kind of narrow. And then you, um, you, you can kind of go through it and, and it widens out. And there's also another area around there called Bob's Push. And basically John found an area and I think he must have thought that it was one of these other areas uh, so thinking that you can kind of start crawling through it and then it will open up um, and then you can kind of turn around and make your way back uh, but unfortunately it was not that was not the case um, and he was basically crawling into an area that wasn't really mapped because no one really thought it would go anywhere like I said someone else had also climbed down there previously but basically it was like a horizontal cl- a horizontal crawl basically just to get into it um, but soon it was starting going downwards so he was basically going like down head first into this like horrible space um and then yeah basically he suddenly realized that he was stuck and couldn't because he was so stuck and he was like head first he couldn't get the space to turn around like there was just no there was no purchase there was no wiggle room for him to turn and then push himself up to then push back down the horizontal bit um and then he obviously couldn't push himself back from where he was because it was so narrow he couldn't like use his hands or anything like that so he was just totally totally stuck exactly where he was um with his brother kind of a little bit behind who could just kind of see his feet poking out basically and that is just (laughs) even reading that out makes me feel ill like it's just horrific 
I am, um, yeah, I don't know why people cook Kaylee. <laughs> it's very much not for me. And so talking about the, the, the guy they rescued earlier, he had pushed kind of 14 feet past where that guy had had to get rescued from. So he'd pushed really, really deep into this cave. And so obviously, once he realised that he was stuck, he told his brother, who tried to pull him out, but, but couldn't, just couldn't get the space. And so, yeah, it's then, he then went off to go and get rescued, but it was very kind of question, like, why he chose to do what, what he had done. So it was an area off the map, which generally, it, you know, the, the rule of caving is that you don't go into something that isn't uh, mapped. And if you are going into something that isn't mapped, you go in uh, with, like, lots of ropes and pulleys and, um, you know, you send a very small person in first to make sure that they can get out. Um, and then one of the like cardinal rules of caving is that you never go headfirst into an area you don't know where it leads to. Because if you go headfirst into anything, you're just fighting against gravity, like nothing in your body works that well upside down. And so that is like the key rule for anyone listening. If you ever are in a cave or ever decide to go caving, don't go headfirst into anything. Always go feet first. And this was apparently taught by, I was reading some kind of, I don't know, background of caving um, things, which was, uh, there was a guy called Floyd Collins, who was a very famous cave exploring in the early 1900s. And he got stuck in basically headfirst into like a horizontal crawl space. And then, yeah, he just, he, he like got stuck in it and they just couldn't get him out, but he was stuck there for ages. Um, and then he was like, had contact with all the cave walls. So he got hypothermia. Um, and then eventually they tried really hard to get him out. They tried to drill him out, but eventually there was a cave in and he, and he got stuck and died. But that's like a very famous story in the caving, the caving world of Floyd Collins. And so it, it teaches people to not, to not do that. Don't go in head first, but I'm sure, you know, if we actually go through, um, his motivations in this case, you know, it just takes a split second, doesn't it, before you then realise, oh God, that's exactly what I shouldn't have done. Um, I think it probably would have been a very different case if someone sat down, truly thought about it before they then decided where to go. But yeah, so they tried to attempt rescue. So um, as we know, there was a big cave rescue presence in the area. Uh, so as soon as uh, his brother went out and got help, um, they alerted lots of others um, and lots of rescuers came in to, to try and help and to try and get him out. And they tried loads of different things. So they tried thinking about like getting lots of oil in to kind of like slide him out. Um, they tried to kind of cut some of the rock around where he was. But the issue was that it was just, it was so hard just to get to the place where he was that it then meant it just was really difficult to do anything. It wasn't like it's a big room and you're stuck in a little bit off it. It's like, how can I, you know, feet and feet down this teeny tiny crawl space that no one can kind of maneuver or do anything in. And so they tried to do rigs and pulleys to, to basically try and kind of like uh, tie to him. But he almost was like also like under like a lip of rock as well. So it just, yeah, it was really difficult. So they, they drilled into the walls and, and did all of these uh, rigs and pulleys. And they did eventually manage to rope him up and they did start pulling and he did start to kind of edge up. But because of the lip um, and of this rock that he was kind of stuck into, he just couldn't couldn't move. Um, and so, yeah, basically that at some point then, uh, it'd been going for so long that the rigging failed and actually hit one of the rescuers in the cave and he, he ended up in hospital because of that. And so, yeah, they, they worked really, really hard. They worked for like 27 hours to try and get him out. Um, but it just couldn't, 
just couldn't work. He, he combination of cold, thirst, but mainly the fact that you're being compressed and the fact that like you can't survive that long with being upside down because your heart just fails because your heart's having to pump everything against gravity and it just doesn't it doesn't work. Um, and so he likely died of a heart attack um, after yeah about a day being stuck in there. And so it is. It's just it was it, to be honest, it was just an impossible situation from the beginning, and it was just a, a horrific horrific experience. And so following his death, it was too complex to remove his body. Um, And so they left him there and they permanently closed the cave with a memorial to him. And they bombed some of the cave near where he was to kind of cover that in and then fully close the entrance uh, by filling it with concrete. And and that was actually debated a lot about the fact that they did that, that they closed off this cave that so many other people uh, used and and wanted. Um, And cavers felt like it was a huge loss to the area. Which obviously, you know, the family were very upset and, and and agreed to it being a memorial, but the cavers were were basically like, this would never happen if it was someone on a mountain, which we've talked a lot about mountains and we know that they just leave the bodies up there half the time. They don't even do anything with them, um, but you would never close off a bit of Everest because um, people have died and are still there. Uh, so which I think is a, is a fair, a fair note. But yeah, it's just, it's just awful. And it's quite a well-known story, but one that very much makes me never want to go caving. So if it teaches us anything, it teaches us don't go caving. Or if you are going to go caving, don't go headfirst into anything. And I had actually, there was a good quote that I read on one of the websites that I'll link, which, I don't know, gave me a bit of heart, so I'll read it out. Uh, Caves have dangers, but so do many of the things we deal with every day, including cars, swimming pools, elevators, street crossings, weather, and even the food we eat. We fear the dangers we do not understand, even when they are small compared to the dangers we are familiar with and therefore ignore or take for granted. In all of this, I've learned at least one thing, that there are no guarantees in caving or in life for that matter. None of us are immune from risk or from accidents. None of us are smart enough or strong enough or experienced enough or skilled enough or good enough to guarantee that we will ever never be involved in an accident. Sometimes they just happen. Maybe maybe you hear that and it's a bit depressing, but um, I think it just kind of shows that, yes, this is a horrible, horrible accident, but the chances of it happening to anyone are so, so slim um, compared to the chances of all the horrible things that can happen to us in normal life. Um, so there you go. We're all just, uh, yeah, trying to trying to get some good luck, eh? So now we've talked about that horrible, horrible case. Uh, I thought we'd spend the rest of the episode talking about the Thai cave rescue. And the Thai cave rescue is obviously much more well known compared to um, compared to that one. It was it was a story that you know swept the world uh, at the time. But actually, I I hundred percent remembered it and I remembered it happening, but I didn't remember exactly what happened. And so when I went back and and read and watched all these cool things about it, it was yeah I was kind of surprised by by it all. So um, I think it's a really, really cool and, and interesting story. Tam Luang Cave is a large cave system in Chiang Rai, a province near the top of Thailand. And it's a very popular cave. Um, it can be walked through and explored. It's, it's huge. It goes on for kilometres and kilometres. Um, and again, it's pretty, pretty wide, not huge amounts of tiny uh, crawl spaces. Um, and so it's really popular by people in the area. 
And it's usually closed for a few months every year uh, because it floods. And that is usually in the in the rainy season. So when the rain season hits, when the monsoons come, uh, they would close the, the cave and people wouldn't go into it. But in this case, uh, we're talking, we're in um, July, sorry, we're in June. Um, and so, yeah, the rainy season hadn't come yet. And so in one of the local villages nearby, there was a football team called the Wild Boars. And after one of their practices, uh, there was a group of 12 boys aged between 11 and 16. And they went with their assistant, um, their assistant coach, who was a guy called Eek, um, who was 25. And they went off to explore the caves. And it was one of the boys' birthdays, um, a a boy called Knight who was turning 17. And so this was like a treat after their training to go off and explore um, the caves as a kind of, yeah, a present to him um, before his kind of birthday celebration meal. And so when they went to the cave, it it hadn't rained um, and they really weren't expecting the rains to come. So it was the 23rd of June. And the cave usually closed in July, so about four weeks later. Um, And so, yeah, they went in thinking, as normal, off we go. We're going to just, you know, explore, um, go walk down into it, see some stuff, and then turn around and come back. So they went into the cave, and soon as after they kind of entered, they noticed that there was lots of water and that the water was rising. Uh, And they tried to kind of keep walking but the the water was rising and rising so they turned around uh tried to tried to go back like i said but they just kept seeing that actually they couldn't get through uh some of the areas that they they knew they needed to get back through the water was just too high uh, the coach tried to like swim through some stuff to see if he could make it out but it was just too much and so they realized they had to kind of go the opposite way so not the way towards the exit they had to go f- deeper into the cave to try and find you know some of it that kind of sloped upwards so that they could um, get to an area that wasn't wasn't going to be underwater so that happened but everyone on the on the dry land um were uh, obviously a bit concerned so they eventually noticed that the boys weren't coming home um, hadn't come home yet they contacted the the main coach and said you know what's happening uh, and he rang one of the the kids who hadn't gone with them who had just gone straight home after practice um, and he said oh they've, they've all gone to the caves so now all the families realized that they were in the caves and they had seen all the rain and they knew what happened to the cave in the rain. Uh, and so they they headed to the cave entrances and they could see all the bikes of all the kids um, and all their belongings outside the cave. So they knew, OK, they're definitely in there um, and this isn't a good situation with the weather. And so at that point, uh, they alerted the authorities. And so as soon as they um, alerted the authorities, it was clear that when the authorities got there that they were going to need a lot of help and they were going to need help from lots of different people, lots of different places. Um, it was going to be a very complex rescue mission. Uh, you know, they needed people that were familiar with caves. They also needed people familiar with water <laughs> and how that worked. Um, and then, you know, people familiar with rescue. And so um, a there was a British guy that lived near in Chiang Rai called Vern Unsworth. And he was a very big caver loved cave exploring and he was very familiar with that cave system and so he once he had heard about this and knew the rains he was like okay well you know this is probably the route they took this is potentially where they are you know these are the bits of the cave that flood that type of thing so he really helped to kind of narrow down where they thought the boys potentially were and he 
and the uh, the local authorities were soon joined by the Thai Navy SEALs who got brought in uh, because it was underwater. That was their, their remit. Uh, you know, they were very experienced divers, so it made sense to bring them in and they took over control of the, control of the rescue mission. But the thing is, is that uh, the Thai Navy SEALs are hugely experienced, made, you know, probably amazing, amazing divers, but they're not cave divers. And that is a very different skill set, a very different way of of diving, of, of navigating a cave, um, of navigating water. And so they needed to bring in some experienced cave divers. So Earnsworth, who, who knew the cave and also knew a lot of cave divers, was saying, no, look, you really need to get cave divers in uh, so that they can really manage the cave itself. And so soon the, the Navy SEALs agreed that, that that was good. They obviously didn't want to kind of relinquish control, but they, they realised that, yeah, soon it, it made a lot more sense to get some cave divers in. And a side note, I will talk a bit about cave diving, obviously, as part of this, but if you are interested in diving, I did my episode on, let me tell you what it is, uh, deep water scuba, deep water scuba diving trapped underwater. Um, so if you have a listen to that, then um, I talk a lot more about diving itself. Yeah, so have a listen to that. And so in that episode, I talk a lot about diving into wrecks and diving into wrecks is very similar to cave diving. And I'm sure I mentioned cave diving as part of the episode as well. Uh, but you just you just need a very different set of, of, uh, of way of moving because you need to be able to kind of like get into these small spaces and often they dive in like different configurations. So they won't necessarily have like the tanks on their back. They might, turn, you know, turn them around. Um, you know, they dive with ropes to make sure they can find their way out. Um, they're a lot more kind of aware of, of where they're going and what they're doing, which is obviously very different to open water scuba diving, which is where, um, you know, you just need to manage being down deep in the water with hopefully, you know, nice fish and things that you're seeing. So it's it's just a different, a different world. Um, but yeah, I recommend that. That's probably one of my favourite episodes I've ever done. So yes, so they soon got two divers, um, two very expert cave divers uh, from the UK over, um, a guy called Rick Stanton and another one called John Volanthan. And they were both hugely experienced and they had done quite a few uh, cave rescues previously as well as part of that. And so they started diving into the cave itself. They placed guidelines, you know, ropes that, that divers could follow in order to, to kind of safely navigate through the caves themselves. And there was a bit of tension, you know, between all the different dive teams and who was allowed to dive, who wasn't. Um, but because the cave divers were experienced, they were just able to get a lot deeper into the cave system. Um, and because things like the... It was just a very hard place to dive because it was like awful visibility because the the cave itself was muddy and then all the water you know coming in basically meant that you could just you literally couldn't see anything maybe just a few centimeters in front of you um it there was you know it was freezing it was quite a fast current within there as well that they had to fight against and it was dark so it was it was a really really challenging space to dive in and only very experienced divers could do it and even they were finding it really difficult and Rick and John on one of the, their early dives, and they basically like came into one of the chambers. So basically, the flooding, you know, goes up to a certain level, basically. And so um, anything above that, if you're in an area that's that's bigger and higher, you'll have some space and some dry land within each bit. So they call these different chambers. So there's like different chambers all the way along the route, and you kind of need to dive in order to get from chamber to chamber because the bottom bit of the cave is is flooded, but the top bit isn't. 
And so they dived down into one of the the, t- the chambers and suddenly when they surfaced, um, they found four men all yelling for help. And so these guys had been working in the chamber trying to set up pumps to try and pump out all of the water that was in there. But then the water had risen and there had been kind of alarms to get out, but uh, they hadn't. And then they'd been trapped in this cave and no one had, had realised that they were there, which is amazing. But if you see anything about this, the amount of people around that cave, there were hundreds of them. So it doesn't surprise me too much, to be honest. But they, the divers, you know, saw these guys and were like, right, well, they, they weren't that far deep into the cave. They were only in one of the early chambers and the waters were rising and they, they had, the divers knew they had no chance. They had to dive these guys out now. Otherwise, they, they were going to die and, and get trapped. So each of the two divers gave um, the, the guys a, a mouthpiece. Uh, so another like rebreather off their, off their tanks and basically said, swim close to to the, the diver and he would, he would swim them out. But diving as we've talked about is a very specific skill and it's very easy to panic and it's it's not you know it's it's not something that's natural to, to, to people and so if you are in this scenario especially these guys you know they were already like super high on adrenaline of being trapped in that cave and so basically um they yeah the men did not do well they were like panicking flailing they were often just trying to like swim up to try and like get out you know thinking because i think that's normal when you're on water right your instinct is always always to swim up to try and get air pockets and the divers kind of had to be like no keep keep going like you can't get out here Um, and yeah it was a bit of a nightmare but thankfully they did manage to get them out okay and so they continued searching for days. Um, and at one point, these these two British guys were, were basically like, this is like, we should just give up. You know, we're not going to find them. Um, it's been too long. It's too hard to get further. And, and they almost like basically were like, right, book our, book our trip home because we, we're not going to find these kids. But thankfully, other people in the in the teams were like, no, 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 we've got to try, keep trying. We've got to keep trying. Um, and so on the ninth day, since the boys had been missing, Stanton and Volenthorn went back into the cave and they were basically like, right, this is going to be our, our big push. And we're going to try and get as far in as we can. And we're going to try and lie, like lie as much guideline as they could. So they basically had two big ropes full of guideline and they were going to just go until, until it ran out. And so they knew as they were were kind of swimming and exploring that the likelihood of them finding them was low and then the likelihood of them being alive was also low. But basically a cave doesn't really smell of anything normally because it's just kind of neutral. Um, But basically they would kind of come up into each bit of the cave and kind of smell because if there were humans living or humans that had died in that that bit of the cave, then they they would smell them. So they kept they kept swimming. They reached this place called Pattaya Beach, which is where they thought they might be found. Um, that was kind of the guess from Earnsworth of where they might be. Uh, but unfortunately, they weren't there. They they were like, nope, there were nothing there. And so they were about to kind of turn around, but they had a bit more rope left. So they were like, no, we'll carry on. We'll keep going. And they kind of just had a had a feeling, they say, to to carry on. And so they entered the next cavern. And as soon as they did that, they could immediately smell that people were there. Um, and they were like, right, we've got to, you know, look around now. And they fully expected to, to find bodies, to find these kids that, that were dead. But soon uh, they realised that there was like a flight, uh, a, a light, a flight. They soon realised that there was a light uh, flashing in their direction. Um, and they, they uh, yeah, there was a torch, torch on them. And suddenly they realised, oh, actually, we've found them. And so it's pretty amazing. But Stanton um, immediately like 
took his webcam out and his webcam immediately took his GoPro out and started filming them and captured this most amazing scene of all of these like boys like alive and kind of like on this like ledge looking down at them being like oh my god you're here um and so they were like yeah absolutely thrilled and they were so desperate to get out and you know they had this kind of chat on the on the camera about like how long have they been there like can they come out? Can they come out? And the divers were like, no, we can't take you out now. Um, you know, we, we need to, we, we, but we know where you are now. So it, it's going to be okay. Um, and the boys were, yeah, they were all like starving and, but the divers didn't carry any food with them. So, uh, yeah, they, they couldn't do much. Uh, all they could do was give them some torches, uh, and then basically say, we'll, <laughs> we'll go and get help and come back to you. Um, which yes, it's, it's obviously really hard because obviously like by that point they've been there for so long and they're desperate to get out. But I, you know, just knowing someone knows they're there and has found them is, is what matters. Um, and so they, uh, and they wrote some notes, I think at this point, um, and the, and the coach was, was really sad and like really like feeling obviously like horrendously guilty, even though it wasn't his fault because he, he didn't know that the rains were coming, but he was, you know, really sad that he had kind of put the boys in danger. Um, but everyone was very, very kind to him because no one knew that the, the rains would come early. Um, and it was actually really nice. They said that um, he was actually, the coach was previously a, a monk, a Buddhist monk. And so he and the boys did a lot of like meditation and like calming and, and all of this kind of stuff to to help keep sane and to keep their strength whilst in the cave, which, yeah, I thought was very nice. But the thing is, is that to get to where they were, the divers had traversed almost four kilometers into the cave and it had taken literal hours, you know, four or five hours just to get to where they were. It wasn't a case of, you know, I think in my head, I didn't realize they were that far in and that and it'd take that long to get to them. I just could not believe it that it was that it was that far. But the thing is, is that as the divers left them to go and alert people, of course, they were so excited that they had found them. But they knew that getting them out was really was was not going to be easy. So once I swam out and let um let everyone know uh, the news went viral went everywhere so that video of them being found was you know on tv all around the globe this kind of amazing story that these kids have been found um, and at that point the navy seals were like right we've got to take control we've got to do supplies so they sent men in uh, with lots of supplies foil blankets food water medicine um, everything like that and actually some of the seals would then would go in and not come out they would stay in the, in the cave with the boys until they were rescued but they just, no one really at this point had any idea as to how they were going to get them out. There was no, there was no good plan. There was no, no anything, which, yeah, I can, I can understand. And so, you know, at first it was like, well, we'll dive them out. But because Stanton and Bolenthon had dove, dove? Had dived out the, um, the, the guys, the pump men that they had found in that chamber, and they saw like the panic that had come over those guys. They knew that like, how were they ever going to dive out these boys who were probably going to panic a lot more, but also 
like a such so much longer in order to actually get them out and you know there's a real risk there in that if there is panic not only you know that the boy will die but then also the di- the diver's very likely to die as well as part of it because it is it's then such a dangerous situation to be in um in the earlier diving episode that we did talked a lot about yeah about that and about how some very deep sea divers would would will dive alone because it's it's actually safer to dive alone because diving with other people at that at that risk level just it, it's too dangerous so they um tried to think about what they could do they thought about other things so they thought about drilling down to where they were so Chilean miners shout out to that episode as well uh if you if you're interested in cave rescues um well that was a mine there was a collapsed mine rescue so slightly different um and uh so they thought about doing that they thought about leaving them in the cave and just kind of waiting for the for the rains to pass you know just just bringing them in supplies and leaving them uh they thought about teaching the boys to dive uh so that then they could do all the training and kind of you know be in a much better place to dive themselves out but the problem here was that actually when they were in the cave, it was noted that the air in the cave was feeling very thin and so that they took kind of an oxygen measure with them to see whether there was actually enough oxygen to keep them going and they found that no, like the oxygen was getting low in that cave and so they really didn't have the the gift of time. They didn't have the ability to, to leave them in, to, you know, to spend loads of time training them or anything like that. They had to, they had to come up with a radical idea and they had to get them out now. They kind of did this as like first, I bet someone did this like initially as like a bit of a joke, but they were like, well, why don't we knock them out and then just dive them out with them unconscious? And yeah, I bet at some point someone said that as like a bit of a joke to be like, oh, this is ridiculous. And then someone was like, that actually might work. And so this had never been done before. There was no precedent for how can we knock out children to dive them out of a cave. But soon it it kind of realized that like over time when they kept like ruling out every other option this was the option that they kind of kept back kept coming back to if they sedated and knocked out the boys they couldn't panic they basically just then become become parcels and that's what they would call them <laughs> they wouldn't call that when they were doing the operation they wouldn't say they were diving out the boys they'd call each one the parcel that they were removing or a package and that, and that was what it was. And then they're easy to maneuver at that point. You know, you don't have to worry about what they're doing, what they're thinking. You just have to hold them, dive them out. And so, yeah, soon it became clear that like that was actually their their best option. And they kept saying they wanted to try and have an option with no risk, but that was just not going to be possible. And it wasn't going to be possible with with, with any any other way. And so they flew in some more experienced cave divers from around the world who um, could come and help them. And actually, they also flew in an anesthesiologist cave diver, uh, which, I mean, there's probably only one of them in the world, right? Though actually, I was talking to someone the other day and they were saying there's a lot more anesthesiologists in the world than you would ever think because when you do surgery, you obviously need an anesthesi- anesthesiologist, but also they tend to only ever do one patient at a time. So you actually need a lot more of them if you are going to run like multiple surgeries at the same time. Anyway, uh, but yeah, I bet, I bet there's not that many um, that are cave divers. Um, and so he came from Australia and he was like, okay, yeah, I'll come over. I mean, he thought they were insane, but was like, if this is the only thing that we can do, then we will we will do it. So he kind of guessed some doses um, to kind of hope that that, that would work um, and, and, and go from there. Uh, and so he, yeah, he would 
would dive into the cave. Uh, they would set up this this area so that you know the boys in the cave wouldn't see what was happening. Uh, but basically, they would give the kids some like Xanax to like chill them out first, then administer the first bit of, of um, sedative, check they're okay, put like a mask on them so that they can breathe and then basically send them out. Uh, but one of the problems was is that there was no way of knowing if the sedative, like how long the sedative would last and, and what it would what it would do. I think it was ketamine. Um, and so they basically said to the divers, you know, if your, if your package, that they called them, uh, was looked kind of like they were starting to come around, then you need to stab them again and and redose them uh, because there was there was very much the chance that that would happen um so yeah the divers were given a bit of a a crash course and um knocking knocking people out whilst diving so yeah so they put their put the mask on of the boys um and the the mask i never know which one it is like negative pressure or positive pressure whichever the one that like means that the water doesn't come in if, if there's a, a break in the seal um, and let them dr- let them breathe. And then they cable tied their arms and legs together so that they wouldn't kind of trail or hit anything. And then basically attach them to each, each diver. And then they had to go through like lots of chambers. So it wasn't all diving. It was like you had to go up and carry them over and then into the next chamber, that type of thing. So there would be support divers, support people in, in each chamber to kind of help if they needed anything um, and to also help carry the boys over um in the dry bits between the the diving bits and the problem is is that i mean there was no radio into this cave so um it literally was up to these divers alone to to just carry on and to try and make it out and they were basically instructed you you have to carry on if if things go wrong you're probably not going to be able to help them you know if if something happened to the to the boy you're probably not going to be able to help you just you just have to carry on and hope hope that it's going to be okay there's there's no going back it's it's a one it's a one way street and you've just got to take that boy and get them out and what will be will be basically and so and the, the team itself were kind of worried that actually if something could go, like goes wrong um that the government kind of might come and like prosecute them uh, and so they um but they were given immunity to kind of say yes you're you know questionably anesthetizing these people but that's okay but they did they did put some plans in place just in case to kind of like fly them out if anything did go wrong but yeah, but sadly, actually, in the preparation for all of um, conducting the rescue, there was a death of one of the uh, divers who was a he was a retired Thai Navy SEAL um, who had come back and volunteered to kind of help them. Um, but he had sadly died whilst diving and, and putting the cables and, uh, and lines down. A guy called Sam Gunan. Uh, and sadly, he was only 38 when he died in the cave, which is really sad. And so the rescue would take place over three days um, and they would have four divers who would kind of transport the kids each day. And so, yeah, they headed into that, into where the, the, where the boys were stuck. And like I said, they cordoned off the area uh, so the boys couldn't see what they were doing, gave them some Xanax and then, yeah, dosed them up with ketamine. Um, and then they were off. And there was a lot of anxiety for the um, for the divers. I mean, obviously through all of it, but I think if you're a cave diver, you are probably like the best person in the world at keeping calm right because that's especially these cave divers who were so specialized and pro in it the key to all of this is staying calm um but there was still a lot of anxiety because um often when the boys were sedated sometimes it was hard to like see if they were breathing a few of the boys 
because they had been in the cave for so long, were getting a bit of like a chest infection and so were quite unwell. Um, and there were, you know, a few occasions where they kind of had to stop, check the check that they were breathing, try and keep their airways open. Um, yeah, and in a couple of occasions, they did have to stop and re-inject them whilst they were diving and whilst they were in these different caves. But slowly but surely, um, they took them through the caves and passed them um, to the Navy at the end uh, where they were kind of packed packed off and taken to hospital. And at the beginning of this, they had a, their estimate was that 25% of the boys would survive and make it out successfully. But they actually managed to get every single one of them out, which is, which is astounding and such, yeah, so it just shows like the, the fact that it, the plan worked, which is amazing, but then um, the skills of the divers, because I think as the as the days went on, it got harder and harder to dive. And this was some of, you know, they say some of the hardest dives that they ever did. And weirdly, almost as soon as the last rescue was made, uh, one of the pumps broke in the final chamber that they were working in and like flooded it and all the rescuers had to run out. So <laughs> it was like, how how could you do that? Like right, right on time, um, which was, yeah, stunning. And so, yeah, thankfully, um, there was a bit of debate once they kind of came out. The coach was kind of like, um, yeah, some people were like, oh, we can't do this. But eventually he was celebrated just helping get the boys through this. Um, and he wasn't prosecuted. They, following their, their release, they were obviously in hospital for a while, getting getting treatment and getting their strength back. Um, and then, you know, they became a bit of kind of local and international celebrities. So um, some of the, the boys and the coach actually didn't ha- didn't have any citizenship because of where at the top of Thailand, you know, there's some areas where it's a bit of a grey area kind of between the, the different countries that border each other and some people don't have citizenship. And so they were all granted citizenship. Um, which is very positive, and they were flown around the world, uh, notably to the UK for football matches, uh, because as you see, uh, when they get rescued, they were wearing kind of UK football um, team shirts, uh, and obviously we're, we're a bit of a football team, so we're, we're big fans, um, and so yeah, that was very nice. So yeah, that was yeah a very a very positive story um, to hopefully balance out the. Uh, horrific one at the beginning um but yes but there are some lessons learnt, which i've mentioned before but yes if you are caving or cave diving rope is your lifeline we talked about this on the deep sea diving as well get you have to be taking a rope that rope will get you in and will get you out so if you've learned nothing learn that <laughs> take a rope don't go into a cave or a crack when you don't know what's on the other side um, and don't ever go into anything headfirst. Always ensure that you have enough space in order to turn around and, and get out. Um, which, yes, very key. Don't do that. Which I like. I think makes a lot of sense. But to be honest, until someone like until I read it, I was like, oh right, okay, yeah. Now I'll remember that as a rule. I probably would have instinctively done that, but now I'll definitely do it. We learnt don't explore unexplored caves unless you know what you're doing. Uh, go with an experienced cave person to many, many of the areas. I'm sure that um, if you are interested in caving, then there are many, many guides and companies out there that can take you, take you into into said cave. Um, I know in if you're in New Zealand, go to the white to the Waitomo caves to see the glowworms. That's a nice cave, but I feel like they, you know. There must be like 20 little boat trips into it a day. So I feel like you're pretty safe there. Um, and there's very nice glowworms. So so yeah, there's some good caves, but don't explore unexplored caves unless you are a very experienced cave person, cave caver. 
And then I think the the other lesson is that people will really band together to help as much as they can um, to get help get someone out. And I think that that's very heartening, um, actually, in, in both of these, was like how much people tried to get people out and to to save them, and how much they will, you know, pull pull people together and and do what what they can. And yeah, some sometimes it doesn't work, and sometimes it does. Um, but yeah, that's that's the lessons. So references. Uh, Nutty Putty Cave. The main thing I found very good was there is a website called nuttyputtytragedy.blogspot.com. I don't know why it's called Nutty Putty. I think it was something to do with, what is it? Silly Putty? I think for kind of like how like weirdly shaped it was. Anyway. Um, but yes, nuttyputtytragedy.blogspot.com. Um, it's a really basic website, but it's really good. And it basically like pulls together the sources from all these other websites into into trying to come up with like an actual definitive account because there's so many things out there on this and some of them aren't true but that that website was by far the best and by far had like all of these different views on it Um, and then there's some other reading as well which i'll put in from a thai cave rescue point of view if you like that then i recommend the podcast against all odds uh, which did a Thai Cave Rescue uh, little mini-series. It's four episodes long. Um, it's one of those ones where it's factual, but then they kind of dramatise bits of it, which I quite don't mind. <laughs> if you if you want a, a different form of podcast and just me talking, um, then yes, I recommend that. And then there is also a very good documentary called The Rescue, uh, which where they interview basically everyone that's involved um, and do a lot of kind of recreations and show you all the footage, show you, you know, all the cave and, and it really brings it to life. Um, and yes, so it's called The Rescue. If you're in the UK, um, it is a documentary on Disney+. Plus. And yes, so thank you very much for listening. Um, I hope you enjoyed this episode. Uh, like I said, you can follow me on Instagram at when it goes wrong pod, or you can email me when it goes wrong pod at gmail.com. <laughs>